How's but, your uh, how's your big blinds? <laughs> they give me a free roll ticket. I shouldn't even be playing, but it's free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at the final table. I'm going to win money. How many are left? Six. Hold on. I actually wrote up a short rant for the beginning of the episode because of stuff that's been bugging me as part of the whole, (sighs) like the way labor's responded to COVID. Mm -hmm. It's been a little frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, as they say on the internet, go off King, I believe. Yeah. All right. I mean, so... (laughs) So one of the things that's been bothering me lately, but like as a symptom of a deeper issue in the U.S. labor movement has been the conservative and slow moving character of the major union leaderships. Mm -hmm. Like COVID's highlighted it, but it's a constant issue like that we talk about all the time within the labor movement. Like we see people like like Randy Weingarten going around the media yesterday talking about how the number one priority is getting kids in schools, but they need governments to work with the teachers to make it safe. And it's like, no, that's the wrong messaging. The number one priority is providing a safe learning environment for both teachers and students. And like, we're going to get into that later. So like, I'm not going to get too much into like specifically I, the teacher stuff, but yeah, I mean, I had, I had someone I was, I was talking with the other day who is, uh, who kind of had that same messaging and I'm like, and, and we finally went around in circles until finally they're like, you know, I admit that this is necessary, but it really sucks. And I'm like, well, you should start with this sucks. And then, and then be like, but we really need to be protecting everyone. Like, and we need to be making these systems, the actual, like, the remote systems better. Like, does it suck because it's bad for kids? No, it sucks because the systems are not built properly because they're underfunded and they're not actually, well, there's not a lot of infrastructure to them. Yeah, but I mean, what was I seeing on Twitter about how uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot is saying that, like, Chicago... Uh, kids need to be back in schools right away. Meanwhile, her kid learns from home because they go to like a charter school or something. Well, and I, I don't want to like exhaust our COVID discourse right now because it's the main story in the episode. But right. the reason I brought up that is because I feel like it reflects a broader problem within the unions and, and not like not just what's going on right now with the shitty messaging around COVID, but specifically like most of what I've seen from unions with responding to this surge and everything has been to tell the Democrats they need to do better, to call on better actions from our leaders. And this gets at what I think is one of the fundamental problems in the U.S. labor movement, which is that U.S. unions need to stop wasting their goddamn money and time lobbying fucking Democrats. Like, Hell yeah. We hear all the time about how risky and difficult and expensive strikes are, and that's why they have to be avoided because, you know, it's it's too hard to get everybody out there and keep them supported during these long, drawn-out strikes. But that'd be a lot less of a problem if unions would quit wasting their members' hard-earned dues on fucking lobbying and supporting Democratic politicians who are just going to betray them when they get into office anyway. Like, right. The the problem we're dealing with right now, the like existential threat to millions of lives in this country, is being driven by the policies of a democratic administration that you know we joke all the time was called like the most progressive administration in history, and that the union spent millions of dollars supporting, and like other than maybe National Nurses United, the vast majority of what I've seen from major union leadership has been largely platitudes supporting Biden and even going along with the stupid pandemic of the unvaccinated bullshit. Like, right. we we need our unions to be spending their dues on actually supporting their members, on building strong strike funds so they can make strikes a credible threat. Like, 
we you know fight for better about wages. That, though? You know, mm-hmm. I think the one thing that's really important and ironic about that is that the whole reason that or one of the main arguments for um, Janice V asked me was the political motivations of of the unions. And yeah. basically it's basically like Republicans don't want unions fu- uh, giving money to the Democrats. Well, also, we don't want unions giving money. <laughs> right, to Democrats. Right. It's, it's a it's a parasitic fucking sapping of energy money material and time and everything from the unions it 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 completely derails energizing efforts in the labor movement because even if you get some pro-union people in there and you get one bill passed how many times have we seen that stuff get immediately hacked apart pared down watered down and eventually rolled back to the point where uh, the reform exists in name only and a lot of times with stuff like osha is just really used as a smoke screen to reify the fucking existing capitalist system right so yeah. like this it, it not only becomes like a pointless wheel spinning but a lot of times is directly counterproductive and so like you know i i don't like this is not aimed at everybody in a union it's not aimed at everybody in the union leadership it's mostly you know the the top people at the biggest you know union federations in the country like we we fight for better wages you know when we organize we fight for better working conditions power in the workplace but what more existential fight is there than fighting for workers to be able to fucking live well like, and randy weingarten is is what now zero for ten on this show uh like- <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Like there are and and I don't want to sound like this is a, a blanket condemnation of US unions. Like there's some great locals out there. There's even some great organizations out there. We're gonna talk when we get into the COVID section about the the great stuff that CTU has been doing to fight for their members and their their students and all their families. But like for working class solidarity as a whole to have its maximum effect. To enforce real change, it has to be as broad and as deep as possible. Like, so we need our cowardly class collaboration union leaderships to either change course and actually stand up and fight and rally their members to go out there, to be in the streets, to shut shit down, mm-hmm. to enact real change. Or we need rank and file movements that are going to throw those people out and and get real leadership in there. Like, well, and I, th- I also see like people who are like union supporters who don't defer to like the rank and file unions as like the people who are putting yeah. forward the better policies who are like, oh, yeah, my local union didn't say this. So I'm no longer so I'm not supporting it. I'm just like, yeah, but if you look at the Chicago Teachers Union, which is a, you know, rank and file union and generally has some of the best policy for teachers unions in the country, wouldn't you uh, w- want to try to encourage your union to be more like that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, ex- yeah, ex- exactly. And like, so it's just so frustrating to see these leaders going out there and being like, and this is, and even especially like today, you know, with all the stuff around January 6th, I'm not going to get into it, but you still have so many people being like, this is why we need to support the Democrats. It's like, the Democrats are the ones creating the existential threat right now. Not that, the, you know, the Republicans would be doing basically the exact same thing. And that's the point. Like, you, you have, we have to stop throwing our money, time, effort, labor, anything at these bourgeois parties and get out there and do what built the labor union in the first place, like shutting things down in order to force change. Mm-hmm. And like, like we, we're even watching the Democrats try and take advantage of this to spin the messaging to attack unions, to try and drive wedges between regular people and unions. And 
so it is just so completely counterproductive for major unions in this country to keep supporting a bourgeois party that represents the ruling class and has no interest whatsoever in actually improving anything. And so it's just, we need unions that fight, that strike, that refuse to bow from political pressure from the ruling class parties and stop going with this line of what's best for the economy is what's best for workers. It's like, right. no, that's not true. Like that is the class collaborationist line that has defanged unions time and time again. And there's well, never been. I mean, and then whose version of the economy? The, like, the, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing about that argument is it's like they're trying to say we don't need unions because like we're if the economy is good, we just make the economy good and the workers are good. It's but like it's some like Keynesian bullshit. If that was true, you would need unions like unions would still be as valuable <laughs> Or more valuable than they are now. And the fact that the Democrats are still like gradually distancing themselves from it because the whole messaging, especially with relation to COVID, has just become like, we're a party that's obsessed with the economy. <laughs> and being obsessed with the economy is in many ways like a way of saying like, and we hate organized labor. Right. Yeah. No, that's the thing. And it's just like there's – when has there been a more important time for – unions to actually stand up and push back against that shit like this is because this isn't just the part where you know what like we see all the time where oh this is driving people further and further into poverty which it is or this is giving people less and less control at the workplace which it is but it's right. also like failing to stand up to the democrats on this is getting people killed <laughs> mm -hmm. like and, and so we we really like we need you know pushback from within the existing unions to to stop this shit and, and turn it around yeah, and it's yeah. not going to happen through an AOC or a Bernie Sanders, no. you know, not even remotely. No, and yeah, I mean, I loved that that comparison of the uh, Lightfoot versus the the uh, Illinois Department of Health. It's like, oh yeah, schools are safe, and then looking at the pie chart of cases that come yeah. from schools, which is like a third of the cases almost. Yeah, Damn, so no way. A place where you put a bunch of kids together is a good place to spread a virus. <laughs> I mean, it's just like it's the dumbest thing possible to think that schools are safe. They are possibly the the second least safe place besides a hospital wing <laughs> that is being used to treat COVID patients. Yeah, so I mean, I don't want to get through all of our COVID arguments until we get to that segment, but sure. it's just because I've I've kind of wanted to you know say something about like the the unfortunate tailing of the Democrats for a while, but this the current crisis has just made that so incredibly stark. We also haven't right. been recording in a week and a half, so you got it all built up. That, all that like, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that definitely played no small. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Work Stoppage. We are entirely listener-supported, so thank you so much if you throw us any money on the Patreon. Uh, get in the Discord, though, if you're not in there. And if you can, if you have the energy, leave us a five-star review uh, wherever you feel is most appropriate. Leave it on a Mario Maker 2 level in the comments section. <laughs> that's right. That's right. 
<laughs> well, our uh, our first uh, our first story of the week is actually a, a follow up, as most of the first stories are on these episodes, <laughs> about the uh, Saint Vin- Vincent strike. We had mentioned that the nurses were going to vote on a contract that they were likely to accept and that they did actually end up accepting. But there is this really interesting detail that's been going on because suddenly. Uh, once the contract was ratified, there was a decertification of the union that was pushed. Or, uh, and, you know, and like you think, oh, you know, that's just like a piece of paper. It's one single piece of paper. Very easy. Someone could be an asshole and think, hey, this is very, you know, this or that. But actually, it's pretty complicated. Uh, I mean, the whole thing is, is very much so like the tax system. I mean, you're, it's, it's purposefully convoluted so that only people who know every single detail of it are, are really able to figure it out. And uh, it kind of appears that one of the people who was one of the scab workers who was brought in, because we mentioned that the scab workers were all going to be brought in as part of the bargaining unit, and that one of the scab workers was actually kind of almost certainly a company plant from a an organization that has been like systematically uh fighting unions in the court system for years yeah this story kind of blew my mind when i went over it for the first time because i'm like they're really just sending in like weird uh off-brand action movie guys to just be like (laughs) i'm gonna infiltrate the union on behalf of the company because uh i don't know they love capitalism so much or (laughs) probably because it pays like an insane amount of money to do shit like this yeah Yeah. one of the things like they the company put this person forward for almost all of the talking points during any of the articles that were brought up with the nurses uh during the strike and this person is like, oh, yeah, I'm just here to, you know, support people who are sick because, you know, those workers are out. They're not helping people and I'm here to help or whatever. <laughs> and so really, really toeing the company line. It's like, and, you know, things are things are usually pretty OK, except for when they're not. And then it's like the reasons why they're not is literally why the nurses are on strike. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's like the this is the perfect kind of person for like local news to pick up on and be like, we interviewed a concerned nurse, and it's just like literally a former CFO in Scrubs. Who's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't really think that we're helping the patients as much as we could. We should definitely go back in there and work for nothing. <laughs> yeah, like so. So some of the background on this, like for for because this is as you were saying, it's kind of a weird story with a lot of technicalities involved Mm -hmm. the only thing that's not weird is the company bringing in friends of management or (laughs) a a company line tower as someone to break the union that's actually incredibly common but beyond (laughs) that go on dan but so like yeah as you said as we expected uh the nurses did vote 97 percent in favor of, of ratifying their new contract and as we'd also mentioned, basically the key win that they'd been going for was to get safe staffing ratios written in mm-hmm. there. So they have a, a maximum four-to-one patient-to-nurse staffing ratio in their new contract. And and one of the ways that this was going to be executed was, as you said, bringing in all the scab nurses as part of the new total nursing staff. And the thing – so the, a lot of this information on this new story is coming out of this uh, substack from uh, Bill Shaner, um, who had reported on this – that because the, the, what what also like enabled this is that obviously like the Massachusetts Nurses Association has been on strike for nine months 
And so there's a decent amount of solidarity built up if you can keep a fight lasting that long. Mm -hmm. However, because they merged in all the, the scab nurses into the nursing staff as a whole, you have kind of a split workforce because now about like uh, maybe a third-ish or less of the or a quarter of the nursing staff are members of the bargaining unit, but they're not actually part of the current union because, you know, just because they're now part of the permanent staff doesn't mean they automatically instantly like became part of the union. That's a whole going to be a whole process. Right. They, 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 you know, they, they will eventually become part of the union, but you have this, you know, set group of people who are like, you know, merging into an already existing like solidarity situation. Yeah. And so, as you said, one of the people that was, is being brought on as a permanent staff member is this guy. His name starts with an A or it's maybe this this nurse. Oh yeah. Cedric Richard Evola who mm-hmm. was brought on and then, as you said, has been like the forefront of all of the com- whenever the company during the strike wanted to have one of the replacement nurses come on and talk about how great tenant healthcare is and, and how the, the strike is really hurting patients. They would always bring out this guy, Avola. And so it was announced basically, I think like, oh yeah, it was three days after the agreement of the, the tentative agreement last month. They he had filed a petition with the the NLRB to begin the process of decertifying the union, and he claimed that he had the signatures of 254 nurses, which is you know enough to trigger the threshold. I those have not been verified yet, though, so I question whether he actually does have those. Right. Oh my gosh! But, and you know, one of the things that, especially if you ever see a decertification, you're not allowed to sign that while on the floor. Uh, mm. like, like that actually has to be done outside of work. Otherwise it's a, a violation of, of the, of some clause of the NLRA or something right. like that. And that's actually how, uh, we lost our union because they were signing it on the floor, but we could not prove it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, and, but as you were mentioning the whole process of getting that going, the decertification vote, filing all that paperwork, isn't just like a one page form. And, the thing that makes it pretty obvious that this guy is a plant is that in order to file the paperwork, he got assistance and co-signing from two attorneys for the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation. Man, I love being a scab nurse who really loves the <laughs> National Right to Work Foundation. That's my <laughs> favorite type of guy to be. <laughs> yeah, and... And and so obvious, like that's a huge red flag on its own. And then after filing it, he gave another interview on the seventeenth, claiming that he'd gotten an agreement with the, uh, the local chapter of Ask Me to come in and replace the MNA, which is which, not something which, that Ask Me would ever do. It's actually literally against their bylaws to organize in a shop that's already organized. Yeah, yeah and and immediately upon being asked about this, Ask Me, the local Ask Me was like, "What are you, no? We're not doing that. What are you talking about? We've never talked to this guy." And now, so now it's it seems he said, cl- she said, "What's going on?" <laughs> Yeah, well, it kind of seems so, like the the kind. It reminds me of like the rinky dink like legal crap that guys like Billy Mitchell go through. The, yes. the King of Kong guy because they're just like if I just send something on an official letterhead and then turn it in as evidence, everyone will have to yeah. believe me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly a big part of this is less about making the decertification vote 
successful, which I think they do obviously want to do, but I it's I think it's as much about sowing discord as anything else because like one of the things that was interesting from the reporting in it is that like the way they reported ask me denying this was like, Oh, well now, now ask me is saying they aren't a part of it. What changed? And it's like, they never said they were a part of it in the first place. You are making that insinuation by just accepting the word of this one guy who's claiming mm-hmm. that he has all these signatures. That he has no evidence for claiming that he has the agreement of this <laughs> I just, union. Which, I just like, love that. This is like someone who's associated with a right to work organization. And somehow he's got close enough ties with a, with a large union that he's getting their private word on shit. Like, like, right. yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'm definitely associated with this anti-union place, but I've also got a lot of friends in the union movement. It's like, yeah, fucking right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it does highlight also like how a lot of local news will just print anything that fits, you know, the, the ideological goals of the corporations that own most of that right wing news. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, we're going to obviously have to keep following this because this, I, it, the, the decertification effort has really not been covered a lot except by the local news in Worcester there. Um, but I don't know. I, it's one of those things I've seen some speculation about it. Like Shaner talks about in his reporting on this, that he thinks that likely what this is aimed at is not its success, but for when it fails to try and tie the union up in all sorts of legal bullshit, like, trying to claim the union interfered with the decertification process or something, just trying yeah. to set some sort of a le- any legal precedent they can do to weaken uh, the rights of unions. Yeah. And well, and yeah, I mean like it, that it's that, but it's also the fact that like rich people just have fuck tons of money and they yeah. are, they make all these donations to these lawyers that basically work pro bono for anyone who's willing to try to bust a union. Right. And so it's basically just rich people trying to spend money to make the union lose money. That's, yeah. It's, that's the long and short of it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it. Cause then the, yeah, the union then has to spend money on legal resources defending it. No, that's a, it's a good point. Cause I mean, from like just the top level, I can't see anyone thinking that this would work. Like the, the scab nurses aren't like a 50, 50 of their, the by far the minority of the, mm-hmm. the bargaining unit. And the MNA was just on the picket line for nine months. Like you can't sustain a strike for that long without building some really strong bonds of solidarity. So I, I mean, there's no way that the, that a, an actual above board decertification vote would actually go through. Yeah. So no, not I mean, a chance. we'll, we'll have to like keep you watching. Said, we're gonna, it. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna keep keep an eye on that one for sure because it's a it's a it's a wild story though. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, um, it's a very nefarious tactic. Yeah. Yeah, like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like that shitty uh, movie using cut child labor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, back in Pittsburgh, where John and I had lived for many years, we we uh, you know had uh, known quite a few people. In fact, one of the people that we know kind of uh, actually worked at the place we're going to be covering next, which is mm-hmm. Coffee Tree Roasters. I think uh, is it in the West Mifflin area? I, I I thought that that's what I read, but I can't they remember. A... It's one of, one of one of the Coffee Tree Roasters 
in our coffee tree worker yeah yeah that's right coffee tree roasters is the company uh in pittsburgh which is actually uh has filed for an election and is facing insane repression well i mean you're not surprised about that listener but you know it's (laughs) it's uh happening again folks more coffee workers uh trying to form their union i mean this one really messed with me because like one I lived in Pittsburgh for a long time, like Lena said, and I like Coffee Tree Roasters. It's a lot nicer place to go to than a Starbucks or uh, what's the one we have here in Michigan? Big B Coffee. That place fucking sucks. Uh, <laughs> it's true. They suck. But uh, it, it's terrible. But they Coffee actually, Tree Roasters I, I don't wanna, was a I'm, nice I just want to shit on Big B for just one second. You <laughs> know that they don't, they, they don't hire anyone over the age of 20, I swear. Like I've, been to, I've seen like three or four of them. There's not a single person over the age of 20 that works at one of those things. No, yeah, they don't do that. Uh, and they're, they're, yeah, unlike the fast food places, which will also hire like retirees, right, <laughs> Big B's right. like, no, under 20 only. If you're not still doing homework, you can't work here. Uh, but <laughs> about Coffee Tree Roasters, um, I had been to these a bunch of times. And the thing is, is they're not just doing like repression of the union, they didn't even fucking blink. Like, as soon yeah. as one of their employees, uh, Liam Tinker, appeared in a video supporting the union drive that was apparently crime enough to be immediately fired like the next day or possibly even the same day i'm not sure um but yeah and and then tinker says like it's disheartening to see such immediate and severe retribution against me and the coffee tree union but retaliation will just strengthen our resolve this is yet another example of why we are forming a union to fight for job security better working conditions and respect from company ownership which is like it's a little boilerplate but it's absolutely on the money you know yeah yeah this is one of those things where i'm (laughs) i almost feel like i'm like if you had hired a shitty evil like management firm to tell you how to run your anti-union drive. Mm-hmm. I feel like they would have told you to wait a little bit and yes. like drum up some bullshit like, oh, well, this person, like e- even something as flimsy and stupid as insubordination or just you have them be surveilled and come up with some excuse to fire them. But by doing it immediately, mm-hmm. like you, everyone knows exactly why you fired them. Yeah, well, I yeah. mean, this is kind of a, a symptom, I think, of Pittsburgh business owner brain, which is an extremely dumb kind of capitalist <laughs> that just thinks they're going to be able to get away with everything because they're about as rich as a guy who like owns a landscaping company or something. Right. Like, this is not a huge chain. There's a few coffee tree roasters around Pittsburgh, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, so, like, like the filing for – because it's the whole chain that's unionizing – and even still, it's I believe only fifty-two employees mm-hmm. because it's it, like you said, it's a relatively small chain. Yep. Um, and then, so they said specifically here, and they're by they're 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 organizing with UFCW, who have of course immediately filed an unfair labor charge mm-hmm. against the company for obvious retaliation. I think um, this is the same local that the Giant Eagles are in. Oh, oh local okay. seventeen seventy-six. I yep. think so because I've actually marched with them. Oh, nice. Wait, seventeen seventy six. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd okay. Um, but uh, yeah. So, so the workers at Coffee Tree Roasters have said that they started discussing unionizing this summer, um, and the stuff that they were really focused on was things like wage transparency. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, how many times do we see that, especially from like small businesses, like where they promise you one amount of money and then, hey, weird, how come the numbers changed? Right, and. 
also something that I think is is interesting that because I don't think we've talked about this much other than in the context of a few gigantic corporations. But I feel like this has got to be something that's affecting a huge amount of people in the service industry, which is the way that electronic tips are handled. Mm-hmm. Because like they point out in some of their, you know, their literature about why they're unionizing that they have no control whatsoever when somebody who pays with a credit card pays with their phone or whatever if when they tip like that just goes into the management coffers right away it's not even like if there's yeah we know that if you have a tip jar a lot of times the management will illegally steal from it anyway but at least you can see it whereas like with the electronic tips, it just goes into a bucket and you have no idea where it is. Yeah, the it's a black go box. Into the black box. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're, we're going for the exact same joke. The managers yeah, no. are like, why don't you let me handle those electronic tips that <laughs> you cannot add up quickly enough as they come in to know how many there are? And then right. we'll tell you how many there are. Right. I mean, when I worked at Starbucks, that was how it was. Like, it was all handled by a system. When I did all the money at the end of the week or whatever, there was like a tip button and I went and I clicked it. And it was like, this is how good your tips were. And I'm like, I don't believe you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of the most common types of wage theft. And the electronic stuff just makes it even easier. Yes. And so... they There was another worker at Coffee Tree Roasters who was interviewed by Liberation News who said that specifically on that issue said, quote, the absence of electronic tips led to discrepancies in pay and no sense of togetherness with one another. And also pointed out that, um, the COVID that there were COVID protection policies that were put in place at the very beginning of the pandemic, but like so many places that we recovered after those first couple of months of everybody being heroes and essential workers and, and the greatest people on earth. And we're not going to pay them anymore because of it. Like, they then rolled back all those things and just said, open it up, let her rip. And so they've had, you know, multiple employees there get COVID because of that. They, they said specifically that, that this guy, this Jordy Vargas, who had recently got COVID at work and had to take 10 days off without pay because they have no sick leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, this is another one that we're going to have to keep an eye on because the repre- like we're going to see even more retaliation against mm-hmm. these these workers who are unionizing especially since it's such a like a, a there are multiple lo- there are five locations right. with you know about 10 baristas in each it's a really interesting situation i think that that's going to be a, a a different sort of story for us to cover rather than just like a single shop or right. or right. like um some of the more like solidarity style unions but one of the things that the workers did say that it, if you want to support them you can uh, actually leave a five star review for the coffee tree roasters declaring support Support for the union uh, and uh, following them on social media at Coffee Tree Union. Uh, yeah. They have a little website uh, also called CoffeeTreeUnion.com. Oh, I'm so, going to go retweet yeah. some Coffee Tree Union stuff right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. In our next story, we're going to be talking about some sanitation workers, which, if you remember from episode three, <laughs> we cover sanitation workers <laughs> we've been doing it the whole time and uh these ones are from san diego uh there are 200 250 sanitation workers of teamsters local 542 that have been on strike for the past three weeks uh, they're fighting for fair wages benefits responsible workloads and safety protocols and uh, if I remember, I read this article yesterday, there is a bunch of scab labor that's being paid twice oh, yeah. as much, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> the the classic move of, no, we could, look, we'd love to pay you more. We're, we, we think you're great. We just don't have the money. And that's why, since you're striking, we've decided to hire replacements and pay them twice as much. <laughs> like, 
you know, the classic move. And, the classic. And to be clear about whether or not this company has the money, because uh, the, the article I saw this in, in, in also in Liberation News, was was pointing out that Republic Services, who these these sanitation workers work for directly, is owned by... Small Bill- independent company, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, they're a little startup. A little startup owned by Bill Gates's investment firm, Cascade Investment, which is the largest owner of farmland in the United States and has $70 billion in assets and are claiming that they can't afford to give workers more than a dollar an hour raise. Like, and... The workers have also pointed out that in addition to paying the scabs that they've brought in double their rate, they're also not subjecting them to the same awful working conditions that they subject the normal workers to, like longer shifts with no extra money, harassment from the management. And yet, the funny thing is, despite all that, despite all that huge, like the the doubling the pay, despite paying people's room and board to come in from out of town to do this work to try and break the strike, they still haven't been able to clear most of the trash that they're hired to pick up. <laughs> like, a huge shocker. Like, Wait, scabs don't know how to do the job? <laughs> yeah, damn, it's the first time we've ever seen that. Oh, oh wait, no. Uh, actually, wait, I've checked. That's every, every single time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one of the other things, though, I just wanted to read this one message because they, they pointed out that the company has, and this is something that we know Amazon was doing, where they're sending out all this anti-union messaging to the workers while they're on strike. And they sent one of these out that said, the company will continue to bargain in good faith with the union for a contract we believe makes sense in this market and provides the best chance for long-term security for all of us. But please remember, no customers means no jobs. That's just a fact of life. (laughs) You know, I, the company, you know what, we're just going to put our thing out there and we're going to say that that is the thing and you're going to walk away and you're going to take your $1 raise and fuck off. Uh, Well, and and the idea that like no customers means no jobs, like then maybe you should pay your employees because they're the only ones who can do this job right when it's got your like ability with these scabs to do this work is so shitty that the city of San Diego is threatening to sue you for incompleted work. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, uh, I mean, it's, it's the myth of unskilled labor, right? Right. It's like anyone can pick up trash and it's like, yeah, no, not anyone can pick up trash. Like I just started a new job where I restock vending machines, which might sound trivial, but like if I was doing this untrained, I would have broken probably a dozen vending machines by now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> no, I believe you. Um, like that's cause that, and that, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but that was one of the things that pissed me off the other day where they, when Eric Adams, the new cop mayor of New York, mm-hmm. was justifying their fucking trash, keep everything open, kill all the workers policy of saying, well, my low-skilled workers out there working at Dunkin' Donuts or shoe shining, they don't have the academic skills to be up in a corner office working remotely. And Why did those jobs fucking, uh, who cares? Those jobs fucking suck. Those people who do those jobs suck. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm going to take that one back. But, but <laughs> just get yeah. angry. I just just get angry sometimes. It's so fucking frustrating to because to, I'm like, okay, 
First off, the people that are in most of the corner offices in New York are actively destroying this country. So like, uh, first there's that. And second off, all labor is skilled labor. And thankfully I did see a bunch of unions pointing that out, which was good to see. I know like the, like I've saw a bunch of like farm labor folks pointing out some of those incredible videos that get thrown around anytime that, that this gets brought up of showing that because people like often think of like agricultural workers as like the lowest skilled workers. And if you've ever actually seen those people work, no fucking way. I couldn't do that job. I mean at all, much less the, the, the level of skill that those folks do it at. So anyways, uh, there's, but you see this exactly with sanitation workers because you you'll hear the the the, the example used to be like, well, you got to go to college. You don't want to have to be a garbage man. And well, again, like these folks are doing work that make cities possible. Like this yeah. is an incredibly important job, and it should be paid as such. Yeah. Well, and also the kind of racist aspect of it, because a Mm -hmm. lot of sanitation workers are people of color in the first uh, group in uh, episode three that we covered. It was majority black workers in this one. One of the justifications that the company was using for not raising wages is because they're so close to the border that what if the Mexicans get some get get some good wages? We can't let that happen. Yeah, (laughs) the argument that they were fucking racist pieces of shit. It was both racist and nonsensical. Like, I was trying to Mm -hmm. understand their argument, like, even in their bizarre racist mindset. Because, yeah, that was literally one of their arguments on why they can't increase workers' pay more than a dollar an hour, which they're claiming is highly competitive, is that, well, San Diego's a border town, and so we can't pay more than that. And it's like, what... What the fuck does that mean? The the implication, apparently, is that they think that all of their workers live in Mexico and work in the U.S., which, A, if it was true, would be fine. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Like, the the, the pay goes with the work, not where, like, and... I don't know. It, it. I guess it's just the pure, like, racist idea that, like, Mexican workers would not be worth as much as, as other workers, I guess, is what they're implying. But it, it's incredibly disgusting and, and fucked up. Like, so, uh, anyways, the, like, we did have a, a quote in here from, you know, Teamsters 542 member Alexis Barrera, who said, we really want to get back to work and clean the city. And he pointed out that, like, as, you know, we were intimating at the top of the story, public services could be using the fucking double pay money they're spending on these scabs to just meet the demands of the workers. And so... Like, there's no way you can blame the workers for the decrease in services. It's entirely on the company. Yeah. I mean, the the fact that a company would resort to being like, we're in a border town, and that means if we raise wages, they won't be American jobs anymore. Just, I think, really belies, like, how fucking thin and completely dishonest their entire uh, posturing is on this issue. Yeah. I mean, thank... Thankfully, it seems like they are getting support from the local community, which is good. They said, this is from Teamsters 542 representative Nicole Moreno, who said, we've had San Diego residents here walking the line with the guys. We've had firefighters from San Diego here walking the line. The support is there. These men want to get back to work as soon as possible so they can help clean up San Diego again. And so, like, that's good to hear, especially, I mean, I hope those, you know, hope the firefighters are unionized and not in the fucking cop union. Um but like that's always good to see, you know, that cross labor solidarity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and if and speaking of solidarity, if you're in the San Diego area, the four locations that are on strike are uh, 8364 Claremont Mesa Boulevard, uh, 7844 um, Armour Street, 
2731 Newton Avenue and 881 Energy Way, uh, Chula Vista. Yeah, and they and they have specifically asked, like, if people want to support the strike, show up on the picket line. So if mm-hmm. any of our listeners are in the San Diego area, highly encourage that. Hell yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right, now to the now now to the thing that Dan has been holding his breath for, which he actually <laughs> didn't because we talked about it a bunch at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now 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 to the 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 work stoppage death panel crossover part of the episode. Yeah, which <laughs> we we need that. Which just for our listeners, if you're not listening to the death panel, definitely listen to the death panel. Like uh, I took way too long to start listening to them, but they are the best source of information on the pandemic and I absolutely recommend everybody check them out. But yeah, so also if you want an early history of when they were, when kids were first going back to school during COVID, we actually did a crossover episode with mm-hmm. the yep. panel. So, and uh, Artie retweets me fairly often. So <laughs> on that basis alone, listen to the show. <laughs> Yeah, no, they're they're great folks, and they're one of the only places actually doing consistently great materialist analysis of what's been going on. Mm-hmm. Not only in the COVID crisis, although it's you know taken the focus lately for obvious reasons, but also the U.S. health system in general or lack thereof. But obviously, we've been you know we did the the year end review recap last week, so this is it's been two weeks since our last you know regular news show, and. You can't talk about labor right now without getting into COVID and how the government has completely abandoned workers and is sacrificing folks on the altar of profit in order to keep the economy open at all costs. Like, mm-hmm. And so there have been over the last couple of weeks as Omicron has started to surge and cases have gone through the goddamn roof and every graph of cases and hospital admissions and deaths is just a vertical line now. Like yeah. you can't even fit a trend to it. It's so bad. And, and at the same time, there has there's been, a, there's a whole robust economy of fake KN95 masks. That's the stage of the <laughs> pandemic we're in. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Like you can't get tests. Uh, you can barely get masks and yet, no, everybody's got to keep going into work. Cause we got to keep the fucking quarterly profit margins going through the roof. Mm-hmm. And so, there have been a bunch of individual stories that have happened over these past couple of weeks that are directly affecting labor specifically. And so I figured we'd run through them here. And so the first one that I had on here, which was two days after Christmas on the 27th, Joe Biden's gift to America, <laughs> our, our favorite agency that always helps the working class OSHA hey. rescinded their emergency temporary standard that they issued back in June to provide COVID protection regulations for healthcare workers. And then just two days later, and we'll get into that one, the, to, to this one after we talk about OSHA, but two days after that, the CDC then cut the guidelines for how long vaccinated workers should quarantine after a positive COVID test. So they are throwing everybody into the fucking wood chipper on this because they've just abandoned every sort of non-pharmaceutical intervention there is just telling everybody to get vaccinated, ignoring the fact that 20 to 30% of all hospitalizations right now are vaccinated people, ignoring the fact that child vaccinations are through the roof, ignoring the fact that vaccines don't work the same for everybody and that immunocompromised people are actually people and that them dying of COVID is not, I know the line that, that, that B from death Man always throws out there that these ghouls use of deaths pulled from the future and all this insane eugenic bullshit that the white house is throwing out there. So basically the, the Biden administration is using every one of the agencies that it has to roll back any sort of protection whatsoever for workers. And 
So the thing with OSHA to start with was this emergency technical standard, which they rolled out six months ago. And, and the six-month thing is the, is the key behind it because I actually read their announcement, which is incredibly stupid. And this is a classic Democrat move of acting as if their hands are tied by the system that they are currently in charge of. Right. Where, where so they're, what they said is, well, this was an emergency temporary standard. And the law says that if we don't have a permanent rule in place, those are only really supposed to be in place for six months. So unfortunately, we have to remove it. So you're telling me the emergency's over, right? <laughs> hey, I, I wrote in this envelope at the beginning of the show that we were going to have to roll back COVID measures at the end of the show, and it would really ruin the bit if I didn't follow through on it. It's essentially <laughs> like what the White House is saying to us right now. Yeah, it's it's like it's completely insulting the intelligence of everybody in this country because it's the idea that oh our hands are tied we can't do anything you are the agency in charge of writing the rules right <laughs> the pandemic started two years ago and as as we reported last year when this emergency te- temporary standard was put into place. When Biden came into office, he claimed that they would put into place protections for all workers from OSHA. Mm-hmm. And then after incredibly predictably, after pressure from business lobbyists like the Chamber of Commerce, they only issued this temporary standard specifically for healthcare workers. They just said, oh, everybody else, fuck you. We don't care. We'll put in this protection for healthcare workers because I guess if some of the ruling class gets sick, they should, we probably want them to have healthcare people to, to take care of them. Right. So at the time, back in June, they already had a written permanent rule that again, since the Democrats control Congress right now and control the executive branch, they could just publish that rule and pass it. I mean, Trump did that shit all the time with stuff that was like blatantly unconstitutional. And cause again, when you're in power, you can just pass that stuff. So the idea that like there's these technicalities and regulations that prevent them from keeping a safety standard in place, especially during, again, during an emergency like the pandemic is complete horseshit and is a smokescreen designed to cover it for the fact that this is want to help that they, that they don't want to help. They want people to die. This is a response to lobbying from healthcare companies, from the companies that own hospitals who don't want to have to pay out in lawsuits for what they have allowed to happen in hospitals and for not providing the appropriate protection, not providing safe staffing, not following, you know, COVID protocols. And like, that's the only reason they're letting this go. They could have put in a permanent rule anytime over the last six months. Joe Biden is personally happy that your friend, you know, your brother's sister sibling has died. He's personally satisfied with his job. Yeah, because it's kept the economy open and that's what matters. And and so, like, National Nurses United immediately came out and condemned this. Uh, they said, quote, OSHA's assertion that it intends to work expeditiously to issue a final standard that will protect healthcare workers from COVID-19 hazards is welcome but wholly insufficient until such a standard is actually promulgated and has the force of law, which uh, is from Zeni Trianfo Cortez, who's the president of the NNU, and continued, the Department of Labor has had more than six months to make this happen, and yet the administration will be leaving nurses and other healthcare workers defenseless if the emergency temporary standard is rescinded. Despite President Biden's promises that he would protect nurses, we can see in his administration's actions this week that those were just empty words. Yeah. Same yeah. thing with other workers. Yeah. No. And it's it's good to actually. That's why, like, when you know, my little rant at the top, I I accepted NNU because this is 
This is the one rather explicit call out of the administration that I've seen from an actual, you know, president of one of these unions. Mm -hmm. And they pointed out in their, in their like press release about this, that, that as of, this was as of December 22nd, 476 RNs had died of COVID since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, out of 4,700 healthcare worker deaths. And that, Oh, to date, over 1 million U S healthcare workers have been infected with COVID. So again, it's, it's not as if these workers don't need this standard. And I think there's also a misconception that having this sort of legal protection in place is kind of meaningless with the idea that like, Oh, well these healthcare workers are in hospitals, so they're going to get infected anyway. That's not true. Like, that's not how this works. There can always be appropriate measures taken to minimize the number right. of people that are going to get infected. And companies don't want that because those protections cost money. It makes them hire more people. It makes them buy more PPE. It makes them, you know, have less of a profit every quarter that they can then give out as fucking dividends or stock buybacks. I think that one thing that's also really important is the fact that there are legal protections for deaths in the workplace in relation mm -hmm. to COVID specifically. There literally is an exception that if you die from COVID, it's not your company's fault. Like you could die right. from almost anything else that you got at work and it could be the company's fault. But COVID specifically, the thing that is killing almost the most people of anything in the in the country right now maybe it's like what number four of all of the things <laughs> three i think number it's three. three yeah number I think three it's, it's is, heart heart yeah, disease heart is number disease. one cancer's number two covid's number three yeah, yeah. uh that th that doesn't count it just it just doesn't count so you like all the people who got cancer from coal mining and got some sort of you know reparations for that that it will will not happen it is not legally possible with covid because yeah. of the administration. Because you would have to hold all businesses who stayed open accountable, almost. There would be so few businesses that would not be facing, like, th that would not have to pay out, you know, some well, kind of payment to people who had experienced long-term illness or death. And it, well, and it, I think it's also, it would make starkly clear right. that the only way to stop the virus and the only responsible protocol is when there's a surge, you have to do targeted lockdowns. Like, mm -hmm. because it's the only way you can, you can save people's lives. It's because people will be like, oh, well, if you had these protections in place, then everyone would get sued. And I'm like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. because the companies are all, they don't give a shit about anybody dying. It's, it's like, it's not because it's an unreasonable policy. It's because the companies are unreasonable. Like, yeah. They are sacrificing their workers' lives for further profits. And, and so, like, NNU issued this statement, and they, they did get a good, real good uh, sign-on from RWDSU, Ask Me, SEIU, the AFT, the Steelworkers, and UFCW all added their names to the statement opposing OSHA's move. And I believe since then there has also been a lawsuit filed um, specifically to try and force OSHA to reinstitute the uh, protection, considering the nature of U.S. court system. I don't know how optimistic I would be of that working, um, and I would encourage more walkouts and strikes to force that shit to happen, but I, at least NNU, I feel like, has been one of the very few unions that has, at least their messaging, has been completely on point, as they're the only people I think that I've seen really call out the Biden administration for what they're doing, and there have been like individual spots of like protest, but part of it is that like the surge is so bad right now. 
Like you either have workers are already sick or they're, they're working 12, 14, 16 hour shifts just trying to keep their patients alive. Yeah. And there are some, some people who are doing walkouts. Like there are, there are some of the Starbucks union members who have done a couple walkouts. So Mm -hmm. solidarity with them. And, but, but it's not enough. We need more. And, and even like, not, not like non-union, I mean like non-state recognized union. Like you got, you have, you have, you have people in your workplace that you could convince to do a walkout in in the thought of protecting each other. Like there, there there's a, plenty of people who like even in more difficult situations, this is a universal like reason to do this. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like organizing the NLRB officially approved union recognition process, going through all the cards, going through the long organizing. Look, getting that sort of state recognition can be very much worth doing. We encourage everybody to actually go through that process. But right now, you can just talk to your coworkers and be like, it is not fucking safe to be here. And we we need to walk out until management actually makes it safe to be here. And I've seen all sorts of examples. There was like one of my friends from back home sent me a link to this uh, i think it's called portland pie is this like pizzeria place up in portland where they their management was just like not they wouldn't even put in a sign on the door asking patrons to wear masks after the like workers there asked for it and so they eventually were just like fuck this half the company already has covid like it doesn't mm-hmm. make sense to keep just accepting this bullshit and so they all walked out and ended up shutting the place down and so yeah, like we encourage all workers to walk out Walk the yeah. fuck out. Stop working. Yeah, absolutely. And a big part of that has been the recent change in the CDC guidance, which I'm sure at this point everybody who's listening to the show uh, is well aware of because it definitely sparked a lot of, uh, I guess, sort of black-pilled memeing on on Twitter about this because of just how blatantly absurd it is, which was on the 29th when the CDC cut the recommended quarantine time for sick but vaccinated employees from 10 days to five days, claiming it was based on science and refusing to provide the science on which they claimed it was based. It also came right after lobbying directly from the airline industry and specifically Delta Airlines CEO Ed Bastain, who wrote an op-ed asking for the CDC to cut the guidance, not because there was any new science or, or anything that showed that say Omicron has like a shorter incubation period or you stop shedding uh, the virus sooner or that you're not contagious or anything like that purely because, well, we're having to cancel flights because so many of our, uh, our like flight attendants and flight crews are getting sick and taking advantage of the 10 days of quarantine time. So we need to be able to cut that. So you need to go ahead and change your policies, Mr. CDC. Yeah. I had mm-hmm. to be on a plane recently and it was delayed for four and a half hours, uh, specifically because there was one tarmac crew for the entire airport. Yeah. And the thing that's very frustrating, cause I've seen some people defend this, be like, look, they didn't completely roll it back. They said it's specifically for vaccinated individuals who are asymptomatic. And my response to that is that doesn't fucking matter. Like, A... You can't test right now. Like, like, (laughs) Yeah, well, and A, the science that we have right now shows that most cases are are contagious between five and eight and a half days, and they can be longer. It can be nine days, it can be 10 days. Like, the 10-day time frame was based on the vast majority of cases 
are like where once you've stopped having symptoms, you're not going to be sick past then. But the fact that the guidance doesn't require you to have a negative test means that what it's ensuring, regardless of what, of like what technicalities and qualifiers they put into the guidance is. And the reason that it was lobbied for is it provides carte blanche for companies who had been offering 10 days of sick time for workers who get COVID to slash their paid sick policies. And we've already seen that happen. Just just a, a tiny clarification on that. Not just sick time, unpaid sick time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There are some places, you know, that have the paid sick time, but also, yeah, as you were saying, slashing the unpaid sick time, meaning that it's like, oh, oh, you, you're worried about infecting your coworkers? Well, if you stay out for that sixth day, you're fired. Like, mm-hmm. that, that's what a lot of these policies are now. Like, Delta, you know, immediately, since they're the ones who lobbied for it, so unsurprisingly, they were one of the first places. I also did see one thing that I thought was interesting about the fact that it was Delta doing most of the lobbying, that most of the airline industry has a majority of their workers are unionized, and Delta is at, does not. <laughs> they're at about 23% union, whereas most of the other airlines are at about 80%. Um, And so I think that's definitely played a role there, but also Walmart, you know, biggest single employer in the country, just, I think two days ago, changed their policy. Now, if you have COVID, you only have five days to be out and that's it. Then you got to come back in and almost certainly infect your coworkers. Yeah. Well, and if you wanted to, I do want to keep moving because we do have to hit the teachers in relation to this topic as well. But if mm-hmm. you wanted to um, yeah. hit any more on the CDC before we move to the, teachers, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted there. I just wanted to read this quote from Dr. Fauci. You know, the same guy who everybody, all the liberals decided was amazing because he occasionally mildly criticized Trump, even though this is the same guy who was fine with condemning. You know millions of people to die of, you know, of HIV and AIDS mm-hmm. in the eighties, um, which, uh, definitely recommend folks check out the, uh, history of, of act up that, um, death panel did. That's a excellent piece that they did. And also I think has a lot of really good info on, you know, the sorts of disruptive tactics we could be doing right now to protest these awful measures. But so he had a quote that I, that when he was doing a press briefing and going around all the media that I think just lays bare the pure business angle behind the CDC move where he said, quote, we're looking forward as I think everyone feels is appropriate that ultimately when we're going to have to quote live with something that will not be eradicated and very likely would not be eliminated, but can actually be at such a low level of control, namely a control that does not disrupt society does not disrupt the economy. Uh Oh, can't do that. Yeah. Remember when everybody was saying that like Dr. Fauci was some kind of like insane, like covid socialist because he wanted us all to like get vaccinated and now he's just like okay go back to work after five days (laughs) i don't give a shit (laughs) like work your job yeah yeah they've they've taken this simultaneous tack of omicron is so infectious everyone's gonna get it there's nothing we can do and also we have to have no controls because we have to have the economy open neither of those things is true those are both lies. Like, and it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, well, there's certain conditions that, no, they are complete lies. Like China is the most populous country on earth. If anywhere was going to have it be inevitable and there was nothing we could do, it would be there. And they just finished a two week lockdown of Xi'an, which I'm probably saying wrong, but is a very large city in, in central China mm-hmm. that had, they initiated this lockdown after about 150 cases. And People here in the U.S. be like, oh, that's ridiculous. That's nothing. And compared to the U.S., you're right. 
it, it, that is nothing. But that's also why China only had two deaths from COVID last year, and we had fucking 470,000 because they are willing to temporarily for a couple of weeks disrupt the profits of the companies in the area in order to save lives. And yeah, I'm sure not being allowed to leave your house and having to quote subsist on vegetables, which is, is how the U S press phrased basically the, the state in China giving people free food so that they wouldn't have to, you know, go out and get people infected. Yeah. I'm sure there's some parts of that that are annoying, but they had a two week lockdown. They have starved out the virus there and they're going back to normal. Meanwhile, nothing has been normal here for two years. Yeah. We've had at this point, based on undercounting, probably a million deaths. And like people are still acting like you're crazy or some insane authoritarian or somebody who's like afraid of your own shadow. If you ever even suggest that there's a possibility that we could take more dramatic measures to save lives and you got people like Fauci out here, they're the libs are fucking cheering him on as if he's some, you know, great humanitarian just saying nah fuck it it's inevitable there's nothing we can do just throw yourself on the altar of profit and it's it's incredibly frustrating and we have to push back on this yeah i mean it's like that's my rant you have to imagine like all those cities that temporarily shut down for two weeks in china it must have permanently destroyed the economy in the region and had uh, untold effects. No, wait, none of that happened. China is fine. They have measures in place to bolster their economy even during a lockdown. Maybe that's why all of these bourgeois uh, outlets are typing up articles like, why China's COVID response could never work in the United right. States. It's, it, it reminds me of, it's just Orientalism. They're like, they just yeah. do things differently. It's just not the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, because they, they throw out their racist, yellow peril, like hive mind mm-hmm. bullshit where they're like, oh, well, they just, the people in China just fall into line. I'm like, maybe the people there are agreeing with policies that they see demonstratively are saving lives and that it's they work and that right. their policies that actually keep their families safe I mean, weird i can't i can't imagine why anyone would agree to that sort of a policy that I is like really the like american family to be safe that is like the yeah. american take on china though which is like yeah they may have economic security their health and their safety and plenty of opportunities but they don't experience joy like i do in my <laughs> toyota forerunner <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's oh it's the God. most absurd bullshit, but because there's every outlet constantly spewing out this nonsense, you you see people parroting it back. But uh-huh. thankfully, I mean, yeah, no, no let's, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to keep. Because I, <laughs> I, we can yeah. go on and on and we, on. Yeah, but so for the last bit on COVID for this segment, uh, we want to get to the one of the groups that is is pushing back that is actually trying to stand up for real safety measures right now. And that's teachers who are getting viciously attacked by the, the democratic party and, and I mean, and the Republican party, it's a joint bipartisan effort. Well, to be fair, Um, everyone hates teachers. So (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) like of all, all, that's that's no, it's become an American pastime. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. But so of all of the different unions, not at a national level, but at a local level, we have seen pushback from teachers unions. Uh, in fits and starts, 
We have seen opposition to the insane choice to reopen schools after the winter break with literally a million cases a day um, and schools being one of the primary transfer zones. Uh, Teachers unions in D.C., Detroit, Milwaukee, and Cleveland have been able to get policies of remote learning in place due to the surge, even if only temporarily. And one of the biggest fights right now is in Chicago, where, as we've talked about a bunch before, this, the Chicago Teachers Union is one of the most militant in the country than, and one of the most democratic. It's one of the reasons we like them so much. Um, like, so before the break, Chicago Public Schools sent some kids, though not all the kids, home with COVID tests to get checked before they came back. And, of course, if you're going to start schooling back up, I mean, we can get into the reasons why that wasn't a good idea anyway, but if you were going to, testing has got to be a part of it. you got to test everybody and, and make sure that you catch infections before kids show up at school, for sure. But they didn't actually have a plan to process those tests. So if folks are on Twitter, you may have seen the pictures that were going around of, there's, I believe, only like three FedEx like return boxes, which is what a lot of these tests required. Mm-hmm in like the South side of Chicago. And so there were people posting picture after picture of these FedEx boxes that you can't even see because they're (laughs) buried under a mountain of envelopes full of tests. Wow. And so unsurprisingly, because of the surge, because of the lack of planning, the vast majority of those tests were never even processed or they were processed so late that they weren't readable. And so that policy was a complete failure. And because of that, because the, the, the city doesn't have a plan, for actually testing everybody and making sure that people who are sick don't come in and infect everybody else. Because of that, on Tuesday, the CTU held a vote of its membership and 73% of the members voted to transition to remote learning to protect their their health, their students' health, their students' families' health. And in response, the government, the city government and led by Mayor Lori Lightfoot has done nothing but demonize and attack the teachers. They immediately locked the teachers out of their classroom accounts to make, and, and canceled school on Wednesday, blaming the teachers union for that, despite the fact that, again, the, the teachers, teachers said they would, t- they said they would teach. Yeah. They said they, they would do to, it remotely, but then yeah. all of a sudden, oh, no, they can't get into the remote classrooms, and that means that school has to be canceled, and it's the teacher's fault. This is the classic fucking company doing the bad thing and then saying the union is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It has been wild. Like Teachers were posting videos of threatening and harassing voicemails that they were getting from people, calling them lazy, calling them like uh, all sorts of really awful shit, and this is the thing like this is that's the city strategy and we're seeing this now at a broader strategy because like there's a lot of rich liberal pundits who are now trying to do the same strategy against teachers nationwide but the superstructure doesn't work dan that's why we can't put in good covid policy the superstructure <laughs> doesn't do anything yeah it's not yeah, just they're because trying it's filled with a bunch of brett stevenses and ross do thoughts yeah. <laughs> yeah and and they're trying to drive a wedge between parents and teachers to try and get the working class who are being forced to go into work to blame the teachers for their kids not being able to be warehoused while they're, you know, Mm -hmm. at work. And it's this sort of divide and rule strategy is something the ruling class does all the time. And it's one of the things that like we have to be pushing back against the most strongly. It's like, yes, I get it when parents have to go to work, having your kid be forced to stay home sucks. And there are problems with remote learning, but the, 
You know what's a lot more traumatic and damaging to a child than having to do long-term remote learning? Watching their teachers or their friends or their family members get sick and fucking die. Yeah. Like, that is a lot more damaging to a child's mental health and development than having to take a couple of weeks where you learn over Zoom so that everybody doesn't drown in their lungs of a fucking pandemic. Like, I I know that I've been yelling about this a lot in this episode, but being online and seeing the liberal takes about this and the death cult that has been built up in this country around attacking workers for everything that's caused by the failure of the state is absolutely maddening to me. <laughs> Yeah, and it's also that, like, uh, the Delta Airlines CEO can continue to make more money. Yeah, so I guess, like, the thing that I really just want to point to with this is it is absolutely imperative that when we hear these narratives, if they're from regular people, I mean, we can yell at people on Twitter. That's not really that important. But, like, when you hear this from, like, folks in your life, if you hear it, like, you know, any family members, coworkers, anything, where you have this, like divide and conquer strategy where people are blaming the teachers. They're blaming the people fighting for safety measures for the problems going on caused by the surge. We have to fight it back against that. Like we have to be bringing the working class together to say the problem is not the teachers. The problem is not the Starbucks workers who are walking out. The problem is not the, you know, pizza shop workers who aren't showing up to work because it's dangerous to work. The problem is the government that has put us all in this situation that has absolutely failed in its responsibility to protect people and that has enacted a policy of like ritual sacrifice to just like, you know, throw people onto an altar for the blood God of wall street. Like that's who we have to be fighting against. Not our, not teachers, not our fellow workers. And we, the other thing that I want to emphasize about that is that for folks who do understand that this is ultimately the state's fault, but are understandably maybe a bit blackpilled by the situation. Mm -hmm. Things are not entirely hopeless. And it's only by standing together by whether you have a state recognized union or not showing up and fighting for the teachers who are fighting for your family's safety, showing up for the, the sanitation workers, showing up for any of these folks that are on strike and for our own coworkers. And, and like, like Lena was saying, walking the fuck out. That's what we have to be doing. And that sort of mass action that disrupts the great God of the economy that the Democrats and the Republicans both worship. That's how we can actually force through this stuff because there have been on small scales, all sorts of victories won by organized workers to make their workplaces safer, to win protective measures. And the bigger we get together in, in, in our numbers, like the more yeah. we can win those things more broadly. Right. Yeah. I that, mean, when earlier to the, to the point is like, yeah, don't, don't walk out alone. Like you need, you need yeah. to work together. And, uh, John, you can make your point. I was just going to say earlier when I said, nobody likes teachers. If you were sitting there thinking to yourself, Hey, I like teachers. Prove it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. And speaking of like mass movements and mm -hmm. ways in which you can mm -hmm. actually fight back and get shit done, we're going to move to our last story about a victory in Argentina where indigenous groups and workers uh, unions uh, came together to f actually get rid of a mining law, which, which actually took not a lot of time to do yeah. because of how well coordinated they were. Yeah, like, 
I know we always try and put like happier stories at the end. So it's not as jarring of a transition into the meme review and on a higher note, but also this story I just thought was so great because it illustrates it's, it's, it's instructive. Like we can take so many lessons from this. Like, Mm -hmm. so this is a story out of Argentina um, and obviously, I mean, folks who, you know, have paid much attention to the, the history of, of South America resource extraction for us and Canadian companies is one of the you know biggest and most destructive economic interests that we see as part of, you know, the neo-colonial, uh, extractive economies there. And so there have been environmental movements and, and, and indigenous groups fighting back for decades, uh, to try and rein in the rapacious, uh, attempts by various foreign business interests to really, you know, tear up the, the, the local environment and go after these, these resources. And so this is specifically in the Argentinian province of Chabut, where there was a law passed on December 15th that was claiming, oh, hey, no, this will be great by their, by the way, by their supposedly pro-environmental <laughs> liberal <laughs> mayor which was just perfect, um, or not mayor, um, provincial governor, who they were like, oh, this will provide jobs and economic development and it won't harm the environment that much because, well, you already... <laughs> that much you, asterisk. Yeah, yeah <laughs> because they're like, well, you already forced us to pass a ban on open pit mining and the use of cyanide. We don't really understand why you would want to do that. but <laughs> and, and so unsurprisingly, this, this liberal mayor, um, um, governor who'd been elected on this supposed pro-environment platform has been marred with all sorts of corruption in relations with these gigantic multinational mining firms, Yamana Gold and Pan American Silver. Pan American Silver specifically is part of a gigantic Canadian mining conglomerate. Mm-hmm. But so they passed this law without any public input on the 15th and in less than a week were forced to repeal it because you had a huge backlash from all of these different groups in the area. You had indigenous groups and environmental advocates who have been fighting this for years. And so, but they were like, okay, we want to fight this, but we, we need more help. And so they went to the unions. And so the main state workers unions called environmental strikes unions at private companies, like those in the food industry, dock workers, fishery workers, they all join the same movement at the same time. Um, Sikonara, which is the engine officers union, SOMU, which is the sailors union and the dock workers union of SUPA. Also, they all declared a strike three days after the, that it was passed. They blocked a highway in the city of Puerto Madryn. What else are you going to do when you're on strike? You know, you got to go out there. You got to block the highways. And the food workers (laughs) union, STIA also came out and helped them. So this is like, this is what you can do with unions that actually are like, oh, hey, all these politicians that said they were going to help us, oh, they're a bunch of fucking liars. Yeah. <laughs> and so they didn't sit there and say, we're going to donate to a better person next time. They said, no, like, we have people power. This is fucked up. Let's go out and change it. Mm-hmm. So let's shut shit down. And that's what they did. They had thousands of the people taking to the streets. Uh, and of course, you, they did have government repression. You had, you know, dozens of people got, up, got arrested. A few people got injured. Mm-hmm. And 16 government buildings were set on fire or otherwise Hell destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> so That's no what harm I'm fucking done. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Including the provincial house of government. And so all those people getting together and saying, you're going to fix this shit or we're going to like, you know, we're going to go out there and uh, get a little rowdy. <laughs> well, we'll let you know how serious we are. You'll find yeah. out. 
Yeah, but I yeah. mean, like, this is the kind of shit that um, is, like, powerful, though, because it's people are like, oh, stuff that you do in other countries you can't do in North America. And it's like, this is the exact kind of thing you can do in North America. Yeah. Like, if you, if, if you are a worker in an industry that is adjacent to, let's say, resource extraction here in the United States, you can go on strike until, let's say, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police stop attacking uh, water oh, protectors. With yeah. fucking guns, <laughs> completely unprovoked. Yeah, it's like the you can have the say the ILWU get together with the Teamsters and be like, "Oh, you think supply chain problems are bad right now? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, until you put in some actual COVID protections, we're shutting the ports down, we're shutting the roads down." Right. Like, obviously, you know this country's huge, and we don't have nearly the labor movement we used to. But if workers actually down their tools and refuse to do this stuff. We're the only reason that the economy has any sort of function. We're the source yeah. for all their profit. Like, I, I know that this sort of rhetoric seems like it's cliche, but it's cliche because it's fucking true. <laughs> yeah. And and these folks in Argentina are a perfect example of that. They had this big uprising. It took six days. And then the provincial governor had to come back, hat in hand, being like, oh, no, please don't. <laughs> please stop. <laughs> right. Well... And I mean, this is why we we agitate for rank and file unions, because then you and your coworkers have control over what you do. You can't have just some Mm -hmm. president who is over in D.C. uh, named Randy Weingarten say, oh, no, (laughs) you can't do that. You know, uh, you can actually say, uh, no, we're actually going to go out in solidarity with these people. And if if it's a problem for those people, it's a problem for my boss. Yeah. If it's a problem for, That's for right. all of these people, it's a problem for the people in my community. Well, and there's a reason that this show is called Work Stoppage and not Union Drive, right? Because like right. we love a union <laughs> drive, but not working is what really gets them to do what you mm-hmm. want them to do. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like this guy had to come back and basically beg people for their forgiveness. He said, quote, <laughs> I deeply respect those who have demonstrated peacefully these days. We have decided to repeal the law and promote a plebiscite at the provincial level to listen to all the voices of the people. During this time, I will open a new process of social dialogue with all the actors involved in this process, whether they are for or against it. And that's from provincial governor. Uh, Mariano Arcioni. Well, and I, yeah. I, there's no mention of this in the notes that we have here, but I can't help but think that they were probably also emboldened to some degree by like the Indian farmers movement and the general oh, yeah. like global trend towards like organized labor, not just standing up for themselves and their work within their industry, but also like having broader national political concerns at the same time, which is really the greatest shit in the world. And you truly love to see it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing, because it's like, this is exactly the sort of thing we need here. A united front of environmental groups, workers' unions, indigenous groups, mm-hmm. not getting together to fucking, you know, promote Bernie Sanders and, like, no no shade on, so like, you know, the social Democrats who, under you know, they want good things. But that's not where we're at. We, <laughs> we need those groups getting together and actually disrupting things mm-hmm. to force this stuff to happen. And it can be done. Like, this guy had to beg these people not to basically have a revolution. <laughs> and it was it only six days, and the law was completely repealed. 
So right. like, and that's that's the thing is we need to have something that gets the goods. We need examples mm-hmm. that show people that that worker power is possible and that it is good. It is the thing that we fight with and for. Like, absolutely that that is what we need. That's right. And so, on yeah. that on that <laughs> instructive note, that's right. Yeah, let's move to some comedy. <laughs> we're gonna look at some cartoons my friends that's right folks it's the meme review this uh and the first one is actually backwards for us because the, the dates, <laughs> yeah the, the dates on this one are 1945 to 1946 where basically the the opposite thing happened uh to what we had to what happened to us when joe biden got in but uh this is just a little political cartoon of a a fat cat ceo capitalist scum being uh being held up in a a throne chair being carried by two animals first uh the elephant is in the back and the donkey is in the front and then uh, and then the second one which is the the a year later the donkey is in the back and the elephant is in the front does it sound familiar maybe it's just <laughs> backwards yeah i mean Again, not a subtle message, but it's one of those things that we we emphasize that all the time because unfortunately there's still a lot of confusion in the general polity about this that it's like the two parties are functionally the same. The same. They do the same thing, just one of them has a smile on their face and the other one is angry at any given time, <laughs> but they still have to work together and they do. Uh the the next comic what is this this art this is like <laughs> never... tiny snake kind of yeah is this i think this snack? is yeah oh, i think this okay. is tiny yeah no this is tiny snack yeah yeah Okay, well, Tiny Snack usually has really good takes, but uh, so this is two plague doctors talking to each other, and the first one's like, woohoo, yippee, and the second plague doctor's <laughs> what are you celebrating? We did it. We won the plague. First place, baby. And uh, the other doctor's <laughs> like, and you define winning as, he's <laughs> just like, most cases, number one, we're on the top. <laughs> no one can beat us. And then my favorite, wazoo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the beaky plague masks make it very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that's like, you know, kind of dark about this one is that this is a this is just like basically well, transcribed government policy. Yeah. It's actually a, a a redo of the first one we covered where, you know, there's a there's a donkey and a, and and an elephant in a plague mask. They're like, "Wait, what are you celebrating for? We're number 1." Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Uh, the thing is, I, I have seen some like foreign policy psychos be like, oh, well, you know what COVID really demonstrates? It demonstrates that Americans are willing to take mass casualties, and that's why China will know they can't mess with us. <laughs> yeah. It's literally just the that's scene deranged. from Mystery Men where, like, um, Casanova Frankenstein is like, you see, I killed my own men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's this in completely craven... <laughs> <laughs> philosophy but you know that's the that's the freaks in dc for you mm-hmm. like, yeah and mm-hmm. speaking of freaks in dc yeah <laughs> we've got an another yet another banger from ellie valley who you know continues to refuse to miss with this very grotesque king <laughs> uh, image of, of, of biden as like a medieval king with a big scepter and a uh, a, a crown tilting off his head and his gigantic teeth being like glorious tidings my loyal serf from the royal council on contagion by imperial decree it is now safe for you to work in the fields five days after infection plague tests will be on their way next year probably 
And reminder, no debt shall be forgiven. <laughs> uh, keep working, folks. That's what they say. That's the... And, that's... Uh, well, and don't, yeah. don't forget to have... Excuse me. Don't forget to have a huge, like, angry conversation for the next three years about whether or not you should vote for Biden against whoever the Republicans end up running. <laughs> yeah. It might be Trump. It might be, like... One of those weird Trump, like, people from Arizona where their campaign ads are just like, this is my gun. This is my truck. (laughs) Yeah. Vote for a truck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, This next one is, it looked, this was, was means, no, no, this is. This uh, is from uh, Rob Sheridan. Rob okay, I see. Uh, But yeah, this is a kind of a, oh God, this it's. It's a three color. Well, I guess technically four color. Uh like poster. I don't know, it's almost like a movie poster from the it, the 1940s or 50s or something it, like that. Well, it's stylized after the um World War II US propaganda posters. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh so it's a, like it's the, a ship sinking. The, it's uh staying home might sink the Dow. Get back to get back to work, you disposable peasant. The market value of Burger King demands your sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> Paid for by the United States Department of Sociopathic Oligarchy. <laughs> I mean, I love this. Like uh, just thinking about like American patriots, if the Dow ever sank because we had a lockdown or something, and they're like, remember the Dow. <laughs> Never forget. <laughs> you know, like Yeah, yeah. No, the because I he he tweeted out like a whole series of these. There's like a Rosie the Riveter one, they're all really good. Mm-hmm. But this this one was my favorite because it's like again, like it's a joke, but it's the same exact messaging that we're hearing every day from all sorts of ghouls from the, the Biden admin. And in a similar one, our last meme this week is actually from the CDC itself, the, the, the <laughs> yeah. meme organization of the United States of this past couple months. Yeah. So this years. is a, uh, a, they live meme. So we've got the first one, although, you know, I, I pr- it should be small critique, right? small critique of this meme. It has the function of the glasses correct. Yes, from they live, but I would have inverted the the top and bottom panels just right. for effect. <laughs> um, so the top one is you've got he's got you got Rowdy Roddy Piper's got the the glasses on to let you see the re- the real world, mm-hmm. and so you've got the black and white version of this CDC ad, which has got like a uh, looks like a supermarket worker probably who's in their apron with their double mask on because of course we can't just give people N95s. They're right. also coded at they're kind of coded as a Starbucks worker with the green apron. Yeah. yeah, and and their quote from the CDC ad says, "I'm gonna die for minimum wage." <laughs> <laughs> and then the lower panel where he takes the sunglasses off to see what everything looks like to everybody else, and it says the actual CDC ad that says. I'm not letting COVID-19 take my shifts. Find your free vaccine at vaccines.gov. Oh, my God. Like, COVID-19 is going to show up and work for 10 hours. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this this ad is just so nuts because it's I, like it's, it's yeah, so that, fucked this on is so very many levels. Dark. This one's very dark. The idea that, that it's like uh, just the, the blatant like sacrifice yourself for the economy that the mm-hmm. that the government has always done and it's especially tripling and quadrupling down on now 
Well, and it's and, also like the, it's just a it's a, it's another like it's a particularly bright glint of one of the worst perversions of capitalism, which is like this ideological through current that's like you should love your job, you should defend mm-hmm. your shifts from other workers, and like try to try to earn as much work time as you can, which is like. No, don't do that. <laughs> Please, yeah. you will suffer a pulmonary embolism at age 44. I promise you. Do do not sacrifice yourself for your shitty employer. As we have said many times before, work exactly as hard as you are paid. Exactly. Barely do your job. That's like, right. And there's just so much else in this one, like the whole continual fronting of the idea that you just have to get vaccinated and then COVID is nothing, which we know is not true. Right. And it even has the find your free vaccine at vaccines.gov, which just made me think of the statement Biden put out yesterday, which was like, you could find tests, just Google tests near me. <laughs> like, <laughs> he literally, the president of the United States would be like, just Google it, motherfucker. I don't know. This White House yeah. press briefing is sponsored by DoorDash. Please get your <laughs> when, <laughs> quick when tests I needed, on DoorDash. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I needed a test, uh, which I was not able to get um, a couple days ago. And uh, I went. I did that. I actually had to Google it. And so what I do is I go into the Walgreens thing and I go through their whole system and I find out, oh, they don't have any availability in the time frame that I need it. And I'm like, fuck. And I and I go to 10 different Walgreens's to, uh, pages to find out that there are no tests in the area. Then go to Walmart. There are no tests. You could have to go to 30 different fucking websites to find mm-hmm. out that you are fucked. The only mm-hmm. time I've seen COVID tests in the last like two months has been a random time I was at Speedway and on the counter they have three COVID rapid tests. And then the next day I went in for my Slurpee, no COVID rapid tests. I well I saw somebody tweeting yesterday, I think, that there's one of those bots or accounts that tweets like this is where you can find PS fives. Right. Or this is where you can find rare sneakers. And they're now tweeting out this is where you can find Binax Now tests. Like, damn. <laughs> that's how hard they are to find. That's how fucked the distribution system is. We've yeah. literally relegated COVID tests to the industry of hype beasts, which, yeah. <laughs> yes. that's fucked. <laughs> like, let's be real. That's not, yeah. that's yeah. not good. <laughs> All right. Get, well, get we your should, Supreme we... branded COVID <laughs> test. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> All right, we need to end this episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we are entirely listener-supported. We don't run ads or anything like that. Uh, Never will. And we rely on your support to do this show, and we really appreciate it when you do support us. If you would like to support us, go to patreon.com slash workstoppage. We've got a bunch of extra educational content on there for people who subscribe. Also, for people who don't subscribe or do, there's a Discord where you can hang out with us and get all sorts of other news and memes, and you can talk about like what sort of shit's going on in your you know workplace. Uh, you know that that uh, Discord link is in the description of this episode. If you want, give us a review. Put a, a five star review uh, somewhere. I actually, I mean, don't forget to do the five star reviews for the coffee tree roasters. But like, also, you know, mm-hmm. for, for us. Um, and then follow <laughs> Just John write on work Twitter. Stoppage a good show on a piece of paper and slide it under a rock. Someone will find it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, follow John on Twitter for that kind of awesome take <laughs> at Facebook Villain. <laughs> 
follow, uh, well, mostly Dan, uh, uh, but the podcast itself at Work Stoppage Pod on Twitter. And uh, listen to Beep Beep Lettuce, Red Game Table, and as always, labor peace is not in our interest. Solidarity forever. Solidarity, folks. Stand with teachers, stand with workers, stand up and fight back. Solidarity, everybody. That's right. There are the spend the night under bridges over by the river down in the park through the winter but there's a house that i know safe and warm and no one ever goes there down where the priests bless the
only recognise two tunes, Silent Night and God Save the Queen. And I only know which is which, because one of them, everybody stands up for.